Have you ever prayed for something, and then when the answer came, you didn't believe it and you kept praying? I think there's a lesson in there for all of us. So often, we pray and we pray and we pray, and sometimes we're not even expecting God to answer, and yet He is always answering. We just got to open our eyes. We've got to open our hearts to see that He is always at work, and uh, I think allow that to increase our faith. This morning, we're going to continue in part three of our series on growing, and today we're going to look at growing in trust. Uh, One of the things that we realize is that as we go through this life, what do we have if we don't have trust in God? Who are we going to put our trust in? Are we going to put it in uh, ourselves, in our own abilities? Are we going to put it in other people's abilities to take care of us, or are we going to put it in God? And so that is the question for us this morning. Uh, I'm sure each of us has situations that we can think of where we need to trust God more, and so I hope that this challenges and inspires you to do just that this morning. Uh, Would you bow with me as we begin this in prayer? Heavenly Father, there is not one of us who can say this morning that we couldn't trust you more. There's not one of us here who could say we've arrived, we're trusting you the most that we possibly could. No, Lord, each one of us could grow in our ability to trust you more. And so I pray, Lord, that even in this time, your Holy Spirit would come about and give that increase within us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you now would just anoint this word for each one of us. Open our hearts, Lord, that something would happen inside of us that through this, uh, through this word in these next minutes, Lord, that our trust in you would grow and that we would go out of here, Lord, ready to put that into action. And so, Father, I just pray that you would bless this word. Lord, I want to pray for all of the various congregations in this town uh, this morning as we gather to worship. I pray specifically, Lord, for the Calvary Baptist Church, as today they are saying farewell to Sean and Denise, their pastor couple. And I just pray, Lord, that you would uh, give them just uh, a blessed morning together. I pray, Lord, that this would be a special farewell, and I ask that you would go before Sean and Denise as as they go to a new congregation in B.C., Continue to make them a blessing, Lord, and continue to bless them. We pray as well, Lord, that you will provide for the Baptist Church and that you will provide, Lord, at the right time, the right pastor to come in and continue to lead that congregation. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to do your work in the wider body of Christ here in this town. Continue to unify us by your Spirit and one voice and purpose, Lord. We may work together to win this community for you. And so we thank you that we can be a part of that. And so now, Lord, we commit ourselves to you for this time. I ask that you would speak through me. May the words be yours, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's God been teaching you lately? Anyone? What's God been teaching you this past week? How have you grown in this past week? How about yesterday? Let's get real specific. How about this morning? Did you, did you learn something in Sunday school? Has something been happening in your life where you've been growing? Does anyone want to volunteer? It can, only be, it can be one word, one sentence, right there. Amen. Thank you, Scott. Anyone else? What's God been teaching you lately? Patience. Thank you. As she holds the squirming child on her lap. <laughs> Thank you, Rhonda. Barb, you had your hand up. Okay. 
Very good. Thank you. Forgiveness. God's showing you his patience as he's teaching you patience. (laughs) Isn't that the truth for most of us? Pardon me? Hope. Amen. Thank you. Anyone else? What have you been learning? Compassion. I think if we really got the ball rolling on this and we start peeling back the layers, we could all say that we're learning something. And I, and I pray that you are continually learning and that you're growing even as we've been going through this study from week to week. I want to remind you, as I said at the beginning of this series, that growing and personal growth is what God desires for you. It's what he desires for this church. And it's what he desires for His kingdom in this entire world is that it grows. Remember, God is in the business of growing things. He is the God of creation. He's the one who designed all of this to grow and flourish in the first place. And as we look at the world around us, we're reminded of that. Everything's green. The sun's finally shining. The farmers are finally getting the seed in the ground. And this is God's design. He is in the business of growing things in creation and in us. As Peter said in 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forevermore. And so this morning I want to key our, our hearts and minds in specifically on the area of growing in trust. To start this off I want to share with you a story that I believe I've shared a number of years ago. But I think it's worth sharing again as it gets us thinking on this subject. The story is told of an elderly man who was desperately ill and nearing death. Knowing that he had very little time left, he called his three closest friends to come see him one last time. The first friend was a doctor, the second a pastor, and the third a banker. When they arrived, the old man said to each of his three friends, Now, I know they say you can't take your money with you, but who really knows for sure? What if the experts are mistaken? And so I want to account for all possibilities. So I'm giving each of you an envelope containing $100,000 cash. When I die, I want each of you to slip that envelope into my jacket pocket at at the funeral service. Then, if I do need the money in the life to come, I'll be prepared. So I'm entrusting each of the envelopes to you because you are my closest friends and I trust you completely. Well, having given this last words to his three friends shortly thereafter the man passed away each of his three friends was seen slipping something into the deceased man's pocket as they walked up to the casket to pay their final respects at the funeral service following the service while these three friends were visiting with each other following the burial the doctor finally with a sheepish look on his face kicked at the ground and said guys I have a confession to make. As you know, the hospital's been desperately short of funds, and we can't even replace the CAT scan machine that broke down, and so to make up the difference, I took $20,000 for the new CAT scan and put the rest in the coffin. Well, then the minister nervously cleared his throat and looked down at his shoes and said, well, having to hear that, I too have a confession to make. As you know, our church is seriously overburdened with the needs of the homeless, and 
It just seems so pointless to put that money into a, into a casket and be buried in the ground. So in hopes of helping the needy, I took $50,000 out of the envelopes and put the rest in his pocket. Now looking sternly at the doctor and the minister, the third friend, the banker, exclaimed, I can't believe what I'm hearing. I am astonished and deeply disappointed that you would treat a solemn trust of our dear friend so casually. I want you to know that I didn't shortchange him a single cent. Yes, I put my personal check in his pocket for the full $100,000. He can cash that check whenever he wants. Who can you really trust? Can you really trust your friends, as this man found out? Well, he wouldn't have found out. But who can you trust? If you can't, if you can't really trust your closest friends, do you trust your government? Can you trust them completely? How about our law enforcement, our courts, our legal system, our civic leaders? How about our church leaders, our family members? our best friends. Now, while I hope that you can and do trust those who are worthy of trust, the fact remains that as long as we are dealing with human beings, trust can and still often is broken. And no matter how virtuous or noble the person may be, every last one of us is still capable of failing. So who can you really completely trust? And this is where Proverbs 3 verse 5 focuses our attention. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Today, I want to share with you a few scriptural principles to help you grow in your trust in God. The first one I want to bring to your attention is trust God before anything else. Trust God first. The book of Proverbs, as you probably already know, is a father's letter of instruction for wise living. And he's writing this to his sons. Now, King Solomon, of course we know, is a man of unsurpassed wisdom. No one else is his equal in the realm of wisdom and knowledge. And so he knew from his vast wisdom and life experience that his son's greatest temptation would be to trust in other things before God whether in wealth, in armies, in women, in their own skill or ability, Solomon knew that they would have these temptations in life. But Solomon also knew that all wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord and putting complete trust in his provision for all areas of life. So, going back to the beginning of chapter 3 of Proverbs, he begins with the admonition in verses 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep the commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Well, who doesn't want a long and prosperous life? Anyone? Anyone not want that? A long and prosperous life? You know, Solomon, with that kind of a line, has our attention. And I'm sure he had his son's attention as well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. This is what he declares is the secret to a long and prosperous life. 
Now, doing this means that we must trust God before anything or anyone else, including yourself. Now, I want to ask you, what things do you sometimes put your trust in before God? Anyone. What do you put your trust in first? What is your gut instinct? When a situation arises, what is your go-to response? Who do you put your trust in first? You know, as we think about that, we realize that very often our first instinct is to try to figure it out ourselves and our own ability. And we often put many things on that pedestal of trust before we turn to God. You know, once we start going down the list, it'll be more things than you actually realize. Because right now, this very moment, you have put your full trust in a church pew. Did you know that? You have put complete faith, without even thinking about it, in that bench that you're sitting on right now. You see, you came in, and you sat down without giving a second thought as to whether or not that pew was going to hold you up or not. Not one of you came in here and said, hold on a second, I need to inspect this bench first. I need to check out the screws to make sure they're holding everything in place. You know what, I need to know a little bit of history about this, this bench before I sit down. I need to find out who made the bench. You know, did you talk to some people first before you sat down? No, no one did that. You just came in without a second thought and you plunked yourself down on that bench with complete trust that it was going to hold you up. So God asks you, if you can trust a church pew to keep you from falling down, can't you trust me to do the same? Are you, are you in that same position to say, you know what, God, I'm just going to plunk myself down in your arms in complete trust that you're going to keep me from falling? If you can trust a wooden bench to do that without a second thought, he says, why are you constantly asking me to prove myself to you? Have I ever let you fall? Have I ever failed you? Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 8 says, Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Do you believe those words? He will go before you and he will neither fail you nor abandon you. So when you come upon an obstacle in life, a challenge, something that seems insurmountable, what is your first instinct? The, uh, the first instinct, I'm going I'm to throw this out there, I'm going to make some generalized statements here. The first instinct for a man when he faces an obstacle is fix the problem. Find a solution. Isn't that true, men? We come upon something and we say, I want to fix it. I'm going to do something to solve this problem. I'm making general statements. I just warn you. Now I'm going to the other side of the equation. The typical woman who comes upon some sort of insurmountable, insurmountable obstacle or challenge, what's their first instinct? I need to talk to someone about this. Am I wrong? Am I out to lunch? <laughs> and if they talk to their husband, he says, I'm going to fix it, right? No, just listen, guys. Just listen. But you see, to both men and women, God says, before you try to solve the problem, or before you talk to anyone else about this, come to me. Talk to me. Trust me, and I will help you. I will give you a solution that's far better than any you could have come up with on your own. And that's not only a good idea, 
That's a guarantee. It's a promise. And I can tell you from personal experience that God has never once failed me. Not once, not ever has God failed me. That's quite a statement, isn't it? You know, as I look around in my life and the people all closest to me, and I look at my, my own self, and if I were to ask the same question, have these people ever failed me in some way, shape, or form? And, you know, if you get down to it without pointing fingers, the answer is yes. It doesn't matter how good your parents may have been or, or how close you are with your siblings or how good of friends you have. At some point, they failed you in some way. And you yourself have failed others in some way, haven't we? And once we realize that, to make a statement that God has never once failed me puts him in a whole other category. He is not like people who can fail and fall short and drop people no matter how hard they're trying or how good their intentions are. God will not fail us. And he's never once failed me. But for me to be able to say that today hasn't come without its trials and without its struggles. Because I can tell you that there was a time in my life that I had a strong suspicion, a feeling that God had failed me. And it happened right here in this church. You see, in my early teen years, a controversy arose within this church family that I didn't understand. And I actually don't believe even the adults truly understand what was happening. But a controversy arose in my early teen years and as this controversy unfolded, what I did understand was that Christians were not getting along with each other. People were taking sides and were taking pot shots at each other and were actually getting mad at each other. And the hardest part for me was that many of these people were leaders in the church. Some had been my Sunday school teachers. All of them had been people who I looked up to and I trusted. And as more and more people began to leave the church and not come back, I began to become increasingly disillusioned. Disillusioned not only with the church, but with God. Because how trustworthy was God if the people he had placed in my life to teach and instruct me about him couldn't live up to it themselves? And these were the questions that arose within me. And I began to wonder if God was not letting me down, if he was not failing me in some way. Now, it didn't happen all at once. In fact, it was a process of many, many years with too many accounts to go into. But little by little by little, God showed me that the main reason that the conflicts happened in the first place was because too many people were trying to figure out the problem themselves. Too many people were trying to trust in their own ability to work through something rather than trusting God to show them His way and His path and His solution. And if we had truly, completely gone to God and asked Him to show us the path, He would have said, here is the path of love. Here is the path of forgiveness. Here is the path of reconciliation. And Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7 says... Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. You see, when conflicts happen in life, and they inevitably do, whether in the church, family, school, or workplace, the very first thing that we need to do, every last one of us, is to humble ourselves. You see, rather than seeking fault in others and blaming them, I must first humble myself before God. 
and invite His Holy Spirit to show me if there's any area that I am at fault, that I must confess and repent of and make right. And it is only once I do that that God's Holy Spirit's full power is released to bring about that healing, that restoration, that forgiveness, and that unity. But so long as we think that we can do it ourselves, so long as we think our own ability is enough to work it through, our own wisdom will always fall short. And we will reap the bitter harvest of what we have sown. And so he says to us, do not be wise in your own eyes. Humble yourself. Humble yourself before me, and I will show you the path. And so it was little by little that God showed me what his path for us is in every situation, and especially when conflict arises. And through those difficult lessons, God showed me that even though Christians can sometimes fail, he will never fail. And Psalm 27, verses 9 and 10 says, a psalmist's prayer of, of complete trust in God. Psalm 27, verses 9 and 10, David writes, Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Even if my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will hold me close. And the psalmist declares that even if those closest to him in the world, even his own mother and father failed him and forsook him, he knew that God would never do that. And I can tell you that God has never failed me, and I know that he will never fail you. So trust him first. Trust him before anyone or anything else, including yourself, and especially yourself. That is our first lesson this morning. Trust God first. The second lesson for us this morning is to live life carelessly. Is that what you expected me to say? Seems a little counterintuitive, doesn't it? Live life carelessly. So let me explain why this seems so difficult for us to hear. The word trust, translated from the original Hebrew word, bata, means rely on, put confidence in, be bold, careless, hopeful. Interesting definition, isn't it? Of course, this word jumped out at me when I read the definition. Careless. How does being careless apply in our trust towards God? Well, Christians who put trust in the Lord may appear to others to be careless in their practice and thinking. I want you to listen to this account from Mark chapter 12. It's a story you'll, you'll be familiar with, verses 41 to 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came in and put two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, she put in everything she had, all she had to live on. What a statement. Jesus, knowing this woman's situation completely, knowing her heart, saw that the small amount of money she put into the offering plate was everything that she had to live on. 
That was her meal ticket. That was supper. That was the difference between going hungry or not, was those two small copper coins. And you know what? To anyone else who would have been watching that widow's actions, they would have appeared to be extremely careless because she gave all that she had with no backup provisions in place just in case God didn't come through for her. But to Jesus, her actions were not careless, but instead demonstrated trust and confidence that God would provide for her needs. And Proverbs 3, verses 9 to 10, goes on to teach that a tangible evidence of a believer's trust in God happens with the freedom that they have in giving. Listen, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. What a statement. Give to God out of your first fruits. Honor the Lord with your wealth, is what Solomon says to us. Trusting God, you see, doesn't mean giving him your leftovers. It means giving him off the top. It means giving him your best. It's trusting that he will provide his best for you in return. So let me ask you, what do you think God's best is for your life? Do you think he's in short supply? Or do you think he's got more for you than you could possibly ask or imagine? I believe that his word says he's going to open the floodgates of heaven to those who trust him first, to those who give to him of their best, whether that's of your wealth, whether that's of your time, whether that's of your ability. Don't give him the leftovers. Give him the first fruits. Give him off the top. That is what trusting God means. In his book, Holy Sweat, Tim Hansel shared this following story that I think illustrates this truth about living in a sort of careless manner in our trust towards our Father in Heaven. Listen to what he writes. One day, while my son Zach and I were in the country climbing around in some cliffs, I heard a voice from above me yell out, Hey, Dad, catch me! And I turned around to see that my son Zach had already leapt off the rock and had called this out in the air without me even looking in his direction. Hey, Dad, catch me! And so here he is plummeting towards me, and it became an instant circus act, trying to catch him. And having caught him, we both fell to the ground, and for a moment after I caught him, I could hardly talk. My heart was pounding, and when I found my voice again, I gasped in exasperation. Zach, can you give me one good reason why you did that? And he looked at me with remarkable calmness and replied, Sure, because you're my dad. What more explanation is necessary? The boy's actions appear to us to be careless, reckless even, and yet he had complete confidence that his father would catch him. He could live in a careless manner because he knew his dad was capable of catching him, and he had complete, utter faith that he would not let him fall. And so today, as we think about Zach's actions, we think about the actions of that widow. They appear to us to be careless, reckless even. And you know what? When you announce to a materialistic, pleasure-seeking society that you are going to live totally and utterly by faith, it will appear careless to others. It may even sometimes appear to be absurdly reckless. But to God... 
when he sees your trust and faith is utterly and completely in him, he says that is wisdom. That is wisdom. That is living a life that is going to not only be full, it is going to be one that is going to make a difference. And this is what God says to all those who put their faith in him. Trust me, even recklessly. Don't keep a backup plan just in case I let you fall. No, I will not let you fall. Put your faith completely in me. And so live carelessly in your faith towards God. Live in a manner that to the rest of the world would say, but what if he doesn't come through? And you say, okay, you can come and talk to me when he lets me down. And you can say, see, I told you so. But if it happens the other way and God comes through, I'm going to show this to you. And I want to see what you have to make of this. I want you to explain to me when I live day by day by day in faith and God completely and utterly is there for me in every single way, never letting me fall, never letting me down, even when sometimes we think he has, I want you to explain to me how this is possible. And you never know what kind of a witness that is going to have on others' lives. As the Lord Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap. They do not gather up in barns. But I tell you, your heavenly Father feeds them. And here's the question. Are you not far more valuable than the birds? And if in God's equation you are far more valuable than the birds, will he not also provide for you? So live your life in confidence that your heavenly Father will not only provide what you need, but he will extravagantly, abundantly lavish his supplies upon you above all that you can ask or imagine. So live your life confidently. Thirdly, commit all areas of your life to God. Commit all areas. Verse 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him. Now, many ancient Greeks practiced a form of dualism. Uh, Basically, to boil down what dualism is, it was a way of thinking about the world in terms of the physical realm and the spiritual realm. They considered everything that was physical to be fleshly, to be base, beyond redemption. They never thought of their body as being something that would be redeemed. They simply thought of the flesh as something to be enjoyed, but it had no lasting value or significance. Whereas the spirit was something that would live forever. And so they, they lived their life split into these two categories. And so this gave them the freedom to basically live in their flesh with whatever desires they felt like. Whether sexually or, or with power, with, with food and excess. They, they didn't think that that could corrupt their spirit. And so they split their lives into two categories. This is... Hence the the form of the name dualism. And so, when we look at this way of living, we say, well, we're, we're not anything like the ancient Greeks. Or are we? Because I believe we're far more like them than we realize. Many Christians adopt an attitude towards God whereby he fits into one spiritual category, and I'll commit all of the spiritual areas of my life to God, but not the the regular, everyday life areas. You see, these sorts of people will acknowledge him with songs of praise on Sunday, but won't acknowledge him in their words towards a co-worker on Monday. 
They will acknowledge him in a Bible study class, but won't acknowledge him in their business practices. There is a split, a divide. They will acknowledge the importance of reaching people with the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They will will give lip service to the importance of it amongst other Christians, but they will not utter one word about Jesus amongst the lost people who actually need to hear it the most. And to this way of thinking and living, God says, In all your ways, acknowledge me. You see, God is not at all interested in being acknowledged only in your spiritual category of life. He is not interested in only being acknowledged on Sunday mornings. God wants you to acknowledge him in every category of your life. Work, marriage, family, dating relationships, friends, finances, entertainment, social media, recreation, every facet of your life, God says, in all your ways, acknowledge me. And when we acknowledge him in all categories of our lives, that means first, we are inviting him to examine how we are living in each of them. And it means secondly, that we are putting him in charge to reorder and to change things in those categories as he sees best. And this, my friends, is where trust really is put to the test. This is where trust, really, the rubber hits the road. Because what if, what if we we let God come into all the categories of our life, and what if he doesn't like what he finds? What if he wants me to give something up that I really, really like? I don't want to give that up, God. What if he wants to change something about me that I just really don't want to change? An attitude that I've been harboring. A resentment towards someone. I don't want to give these up, God. And so we say, no, don't look at these categories. Stay over here in the Sunday morning category. What if he wants me to do something really hard? Like end a relationship that isn't healthy for me? What if he wants me to change careers? What if he wants me to give my life to service in full-time ministry? What if he wants me to do something crazy with my wealth and possessions, like just give them all away? And it's in these categories that God says, in all your ways, acknowledge me. Can we acknowledge him in all our ways? You see, my friends, if you truly desire, if you truly want more than anything else, a straight pathway through life, God's pathway, then God's word says, acknowledge God in every, everything, every aspect. It is the only way. Any other way, and we will miss out on what God wants to do. Any other way, and we will not see the full blessing, the full power of what God wants to do in our lives. This truth reminds me of the story of an old beggar. And this beggar was invited to the house of the richest man in town for a dinner. The butler took him upstairs to the bathroom. And after bathing, he was given a suit of dinner clothes, a fine suit worth thousands of dollars. It was made by a custom tailor in town. And putting this suit on, he looked in the mirror and he couldn't believe what he saw. He was a changed man. He looked and felt like a million bucks. The only negative was... Having been given this brand new, very valuable suit, he couldn't let go of his old clothes. He's just, it's my only set of clothes, it's the only ones I've got, and yeah, I've been given this new one, but could I get a paper bag to just put my clothes into? And so he does. 
He gets his old clothes, he shoves them in this brown paper bag, and when it comes time for dinner, he's given a place of honor at the, at the table. The table's laden with all sorts of great food, all sorts of just the most delectable things you can imagine. And here this, this brown paper bag with his old clothes is sitting on his lap. And as the meal begins to be served and the butlers come out with each course, first the meat was passed by. And as he reached out to grab the platter of meat, the sack of old clothes that was lying on his lap fell down onto the ground. And being distracted by it, he stooped down to pick them up and the meal platter of the, of the meat that was just loaded up to the brim passed him by. And he missed out. Then the next course came, the potatoes. And as he reached out for it again, the sack of clothes fell on the ground. He missed them as they passed him by. This happened with each course, the vegetables, the salad, the dessert. Each time the platter came by, he reached out and he was distracted by his old clothes reaching down to pick them up. Finally, the meal was over and everyone else was full to the brim. And there he sat, still hungry. He had missed out. He missed out because he couldn't let go of his filthy rags. He couldn't let go of his old clothes and accept the good things that had been put right in front of him. My friends, many Christians are just like that beggar. They hold on to their own plans for life. They hold on to their old ways of living that are actually worthless, filthy rags, and thereby pass up on all of the great and wonderful things that God has to offer them. What kind of things are we missing out on when we hold on to our old ways of living, our old ideas, when God's saying, look what I've got right in front of you. Can you let go of the old and fully trust that I will provide for you far more than you could ever imagine? And this is what our Heavenly Father has put right in front of us. Let go of the old. Come into the new. Come into the new of what God wants to do in your life. And so to recap as we close. Trust God. Trust God first. Before anything else. Live life carelessly. Confidently. That your Heavenly Father will provide. And put your full faith and trust in Him. And finally, commit all areas of your life to God. All of them, holding nothing back. And let Him inspect them. Let Him reorder them. And see what He wants to do in your life. And so as we close, I'm going to invite the praise team to come forward at this time. And we're going to sing a song. If you would come forward. The song is singing the exact words of this verse. Trust, trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. In all, all of your ways, acknowledge, <coughs> acknowledge him, and he'll make your paths straight. And so as they begin to sing, I want us to just take a silent moment of inner reflection. I want you to bow with me, and I want you to ask God, search your heart. Invite God to come into every last category of your life and say, Lord, I'm going to put my full trust in you. Reorder my life as you see fit. Bring the good things into my life that you want to bring. And when you're ready, say, oh Lord, I'm going to put all my trust in you. 
And I would invite you when that time comes and you're ready to say that, sing out with these words. Don't sing these words half-heartedly. Don't sing these words if you don't really mean them. Sing these words when you really mean it with all your heart that you are going to trust in the Lord in everything. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, search our hearts. Lord Jesus, have your way. And Heavenly Father, would you do your work here today? Grow our faith. Grow our ability to trust in you. For your sake we pray. Amen.